This episode is brought to you by the Nordstick, the number one way to train your hamstrings anywhere at any time. The number one injury burden in the game of soccer is, you guessed it, hamstring injury. What better way to prevent this than using the Nordstick? From endless Nordic curl variations for your hamstrings, to other lower body exercises, to even upper body and core exercises, you name your goal and the Nordstick can help you get there. Use the link in the description to learn more and get 10% off. Once again, use the link in this episode's description for 10% off. What is up, soccer players? Welcome to this latest episode of the Soccer Fitness Experience. It is me, your host, your host Andy, um, here with a very, very special guest today, Evan Katani out of New York. What's going on, my guy? How are you? Andy, pleasure. Thanks for having me, man. Long-time listener, so pleasure's all mine to be on. Oh, no. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining and, and for listening, and thank you to all the listeners who have, who have stuck with us throughout the last the last few years. Um, me and Evan, we, we first met on Instagram. What was it? Probably at least four years ago by now, right? Like it's been a minute, I feel like. Yeah. And then I gotta, I gotta thank my buddy, uh, Kyle Stapleton. He was a a resident at Duke at the time and he knows my passion for the game and going through PT school. And he was like, Oh yeah, my buddy, uh, Andy, he's at Duke right now. Uh, you got to connect with him. So he sent me your info and, uh, that's how we were first connected. And you know, as, as all as all good men are, you are an Arsenal fan. First place. Are, are we going to win? Is this what's going to happen? Is this what's going to happen? I think so. I, I don't want to say so, but I haven't felt this good in a long time. So yeah. I'll leave it at that. Team is special. Team is special. Um, but yeah, so today we have a pretty interesting episode. You went to United Soccer Coaches Convention um, down in Philly. And um, I, I think you were a great person to kind of bring on for this episode just because of your, your variety of experiences. And we're going to get into it in a little bit. So we're going to do a little countdown top five of everything Evan thought was the most important things that he learned as a physical therapist, also working in a fitness population, also coaching soccer as well. Um, so I'm really excited to hear what you thought was important. But first, give the listener some background. Who are you? What are you up to? Like, tell us about yourself. Yeah, so I grew up in uh, upstate New York, uh, played soccer all my life. Um, So went through PT school, knew I wanted to try to stay involved in the game in some capacity. So I went to PT school at Stony Brook University in Long Island, New York. And while I was doing so, I was coaching in a small town called Kings Park. I was coaching in a club there. And my passion for the game and coaching just grew even more. So since then, uh, I've moved to Westchester, New York. I'm treating as a physical therapist um, down here. I love it, and I'm coaching on the side as well. I just joined um, Westchester Flames. Uh, super excited to get started there. It's an academy based over here. It's pretty popular, and uh, looking forward to getting started with that. Oh, that's great. That's great. So um, let's hear it. Let's get into it. United Soccer Coaches Convention. Let's count down. We'll go from worse. Obviously, it's not going to be bad, right? Because this is your top five. But classic podcast format. We'll go five and we'll end down with one. Uh, number five, what do you got for us? What did you learn? Yeah, absolutely. So before I get started, just want to say it was really tough to pick five. So it's kind of scattered. Um, so this first one I got here is actually from a sports psychologist. So a couple were on the sports science side of things. 
And I got two here. That's from um, a talk with a sports psychologist who's worked with some Premier League players. Um, so this first point, um, he was talking about working with slumping players and how it can apply even to the youth level of the game. Um, so he was saying that we need to take a step back and look at the biopsychosocial model. Um, and I thought it was really interesting as a physical therapist. I mean, we're, we're taught that at pretty much from day one that it's such an important thing to, to look at the kind of that whole person view and really try to dive into, okay, why are they struggling? Um, so first take a step back, see what's going on outside of the game. And maybe there's some stressors going on. Maybe it's an athlete cramming for finals if it's in the youth side of the game, or maybe at the pro level that he's dealing with, with Prem players, um, it's just the struggles of the spotlight. So regardless of what it may be causing it, first step, try to change what the goal is. So take the emphasis off of a broad general performance and instead make a specific task the goal. So he was very big on trying to strip the performance down and find ways to make practices and activities based around whatever that key thing might be for that player. So instead of playing better, I need to score goals. Maybe it's I need to connect quickly, maybe be more vocal. So then you kind of get those smaller successes within the game and at the same time, you're able to build a little bit of confidence. Um, you know, even within the first few minutes, you have that player from whatever it was you were incorporating into a training session of connect quickly, be more vocal. He's getting that already within the first few minutes of the game. If your goal going into a match is I want to get a goal, I mean, how often is that going to happen, right? Or just to play good, like that's not really going to help someone come out of a slump. So trying to really strip down performance and just find small goals that the player can achieve quick and get better with his confidence throughout the game. It's funny how things from, you know, semester one and two of PT school um, really are about not just physical therapy or rehab or medicine, but life in general, right? So even even setting smart goals, right? That's That's kind of what you're alluding to of, you know, having something that that's achievable and yes, scoring goals is achievable, but it's not necessarily totally within our locus of control. Right. But things like you said, being vocal and and being positive and connecting quickly, like you're going to connect with people. So, you know, focusing more on, on the process and the outcome. Um, and in sports that that's obviously tough, especially not only in the professional landscape, but the youth one as well is, so many things are results driven and sometimes it's tough to really focus on the biopsychosocial when we're really really looking at did you score did you win did you assist did you you know get recruited like all these outcomes when the process really is more important oh absolutely and i mean if you think of uh in today's game, like a, a truly high scoring game, what, maybe a, a 2-2 draw or a 3-2? Like, so how many kids are scoring, right? If you're making that the only objective mark, I mean, how many kids are then failing if that's what we're setting the goal as, you know what I mean? Um, so I really thought that was cool to see how he was really trying to take it back to just the, the human beneath the player and how can I kind of build that confidence. So uh, that actually ties in perfectly to my next point. Oh, let's hear it. Number four. Let's go. He was big on three mental skills needed at any given time to succeed in any task, whether it's in a training session or in a game. And for him, it was attention, intensity, and intent. And he talked about how he would use the 
to differ a high performance mindset versus a low performance mindset. So for example, a high performance mindset being attentive to the task at hand with the right intensity for whatever the training goal might be with a positive intent. And I just thought that was really interesting because how many times do we look at a training session, maybe we're walking down the field or even in a game for that matter. I know I see it when I'm walking down the fields on, on a Saturday on game day and you see kids kind of just going through the motion and not of their own fault, but maybe there's something within their environment that's causing that, whether it's the coach on the sideline, something going on in life um, or something that happened at the training session, maybe with a teammate, like who knows, but going back to how can we get this player in front of us to have that attention to the task at hand with the right amount of intensity with a positive intent and how we can incorporate that into training sessions to further encourage that. Mm. So there, there's so much crossover. I know we kind of just said it, but those three things, they're, they're vital. Attention, intensity, and intent. Um, Attention, obviously, that I feel like that's something that everybody can kind of see with their own eyes or, you, you know, a player knows when they're paying attention and a coach or physio, fitness, whatever, we, we can tell too. Um, intensity is always, that. that's always a, a buzzword that, that we like to do, like do it with intensity, even in rehab, what's the intensity, is it high enough, yada, yada, yada. Now, intent, that's the one that I'm like, huh. Let's let's dig into that one a little bit deeper. Um, when you say intent, like a positive intent, what is that specifically? What does that mean for you? For me, it would be, um, let's say, I don't know, the training sessions like um, attacking in wide areas, keeping that focus in mind as you're going through the session and your intent is on that task at hand. Um, mm -hmm. So regardless of the other two, um, in terms of training intensity, I would be looking at, okay, does he have this intent to attack from the wide areas? Are we trying to get the ball in from this position? Um, trying to hone in onto that. Mm. I like this. So it, it, again, almost goes back to that, that process of what is missing in order to get that good outcome and how do I best kind of frame my mindset in order to, and it's, it's a little bit tricky because I feel like intention and attention are very similar, but they, they really are different. So I like how you, how you drew a line between those two. Yeah. So we will take a quick break. When we come back, we'll go through our last three, two, one, and it only gets better and better from here. So make sure you don't touch that dial. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Vitruve is a reliable, affordable, and easy-to-use velocity-based training system that allows sports medicine staff to monitor and evaluate an athlete's performance in the gym. There are so many scientific papers supporting velocity-based training, showing how athletes can get stronger, more powerful, and reduce their injury risk. Most of all, it's one of the best ways to maximize athlete intent during a fitness or rehab session. Check out the link in the description to learn more about Vitruve today. This episode is brought to you by Team Builder. If you're a physical therapist, fitness coach, or personal trainer, you need to know that Team Builder is the number one app for exercise prescription. Whether you're working with a few clients one-on-one -on -one as a side hustle, or you're working with hundreds of athletes in an academy setting, 
there's no better app to prescribe exercises for remote or in-person training than Team Builder. As someone who's used Team Builder for over two years, I can wholeheartedly say it saves me time and helps my clients perform at their best. As a bonus, Team Builder is offering a 12-week soccer strength and conditioning program that comes with your 14-day free trial. This program focuses on increasing strength, power, and speed, all while reducing risk of injury. Head over to teambuilder.com and sign up with the code SFE to get started. Okay, we are back here on the soccer fitness experience. Evan, you're still with us. It's only going to get better and better. Number three, what do you got for us? All right, so I'm switching it up to the sports science side of things. Um, Mm. There was a ton of great talks and great presenters there um, from sports scientists, strength and conditioning coach, physical therapists, um, a ton of great stuff. But this next point, um, so this was actually from John DeWitt. And he spoke about utilizing RPE, multiplying it by the duration of the training session in minutes, create an arbitrary unit. And for me, that was so important because there were all these companies at the convention, like Beyond Pulse, Catapult, uh, Sports Performance Tracking, you name it, it was probably there. Stat Sports, I'm sure, was there too. Um, But how many clubs can actually afford to use such great technology in the game? And how many players, especially in the States, where it, it may not be as um, well-structured on the youth side of things, funding-wise, um, as overseas, how many players will have access to that technology? And if they don't have access to that technology, how are we going to be able to truly assess load on those players in training sessions and in games? So for me, I thought this was a great point because I've used RPE thousands of times before, but to get that arbitrary unit within a training session whatever your goal might be, maybe you're tapering off because you're about to start the season and you have a bunch of games coming up, or maybe you want to start ramping it up. Um, You can use that RPE multiplied by whatever the minutes of the training session is to create your own kind of arbitrary unit to more formally assess load compared to just kind of going into a training session, not having anything to assess how the players are doing with it. Yeah, for sure. And especially, um, in, in sports medicine, if you're going to have high quality and, and robust technology at your disposal, you not only have to be able to afford it, but you also have to pay somebody that knows how to use it, which it, it, it's unfortunately quite common for clubs to, you know, buy 30, 60, 90, 120 GPS units for their academy players and... There, there's no full-time medical or performance staff at all whatsoever. They're just, and at that point, it's just a little toy, you know, and it's like, oh, cool. Let me look at these numbers, you know, but um, I, I think another point to hit on is if you, if you look at the research that involves RPE and, and duration, the correlation between that and actually tracking a player's heart rate, it's almost completely linear. Like they are, they are tight and, that that's one thing that that's potentially massive for so many players and clubs out there that may not have the resources. Um, that, that's a, that's a huge game changer for, for anybody really. And um, if you haven't tried it yet, yeah, I would definitely recommend it. But um, number two on your list, what do you got for us? All right. So for number two, 
Um, this is actually from Johnny Wilson, who's a PT from, uh, he actually worked with Notts County, a, a club in the National League currently in England, um, as well as he's worked with the Premier League in a medical advisory uh, position. Um, so he presented on undertraining and its effects on different age groups. So he spoke on the fact that, you know, everyone's kind of scared of overdosing, overtraining, and what that does to a player. But in reality, underdosing is actually far more prevalent. Um, and although it's good to be cautious of the former and the risks of doing so and the injuries it might cause, what underdosing is actually doing. So he broke it up by age group. Um, so for eight to 12 year olds, the effects of underdosing, undertraining our athletes, we end up with poor athletic movement competency, boredom, disengagement, and potentially early dropout from soccer altogether, which as we know in the state, mm. can't have that because that's already a problem for us, right? Um, and moving on to the 12 to 15 year old bracket, um, the study that he, he's quoting here, uh, they found they can increase the risk of growth-related injuries by up to 200%. And for me, that actually makes sense just as much as the overtraining because now we're not preparing them for the demands of what they're going to go into. So we're not training them hard enough at practice, and now we're sending them into a game saying have fun. But what are they doing in that game? They're doing all these crazy sprints and cuts and turns and jumps and landings. So it makes sense to me as well for uh, that 12 to 15 year old age group why injuries are going up actually um, and then moving on to a bit older the 16 to 19 year old bracket uh, the study found they're not equipped with the physiological and the psychological qualities needed to transition from the athletic youth development stage to an elite performer mm. wow that is I, I think the piece to me out of all of that that was the most shocking was that youngest age group and kids potentially dropping out, which that that's, that's a nightmare for so many reasons, right? Like maybe, maybe soccer is one of the, is our, our game. It's one of the few games that anybody can have access to, right? You can just go out in a field and play. All you need is a ball or even, you know, a piece of paper that's crumpled up that looks like a ball, you know? But um, I, I, I think it crosses into even a realm of public health of like, did did we really make a long-term impact on a player's health throughout their lifetime and even an entire community or an entire team? Um, so yeah, I, I think all those quotes are, are extremely valid. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I just really, that, uh, that early dropout from sport resonated with me because how often for those coaches out there in the, the younger side of the game, do you have conflicts with other sports, lacrosse, baseball, basketball? That's not really happening in other countries too much, right? Especially if you're playing for an academy. Um, but here we're competing with other sports. So now if we're creating this undertraining in our environments on the pitch and they're getting bored and they're dropping out from sport, they're going over to the football field with their buddies or their baseball friends. You know what I mean? Um, and then we're losing one more potentially great athlete within our game. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you, you definitely know it as well as I do. If you got someone who's 10 years old, you either have to keep them entertained or they will literally run away from you. So <laughs> that's that's kind of how it is. Yeah. But uh, let's hear it. Your number one thing you learned at United Soccer Coaches Convention. What, what do we got? 
So this is also from Johnny Wilson's lecture. I loved it. I probably could have picked five things all from him. Um, mm. Great. Um, but in terms of the dosing that, that I've spoken about on a few points here now, um, a key statistic that a lot of, especially coaches in the youth game, are not aware of, that for 32 minutes of a 90-minute match, a little bit less in the youth side of things as we're going on to the smaller fields, but 32 minutes on an 11 v 11 field, we are performing at max heart rate. And over 59 minutes of those 90 minutes are spent at 70 to 95% of max heart rate. So when it comes to training, we need to ensure we're getting into that threshold because if we're not, again, we're totally missing the mark in terms of injuries in terms of preparing athletes for the game, in terms of just getting the physiological adaptations that we desire so that athletes can improve through seasons, we're just totally missing the mark if we don't get to that point. And when he spit those numbers out to me through his studies, I was like, oh my gosh, over 59 minutes? Like I know from my playing days, I'm old and washed up now, but I remember there's a lot of spinning involved. I get it, but 59 minutes at least in that 70 to 95% range so to me it's it's crucial that we're really getting those athletes working within that heart rate range if you have the technology to be measuring heart rate kinetics like that or utilizing that rpe and that arbitrary unit i spoke about earlier um to best of a uh, best estimate working in that range yeah for sure and um, I, I think that underdosing piece, they, they, it really just fits well together, right? Like how many times do, and I'm, I'm definitely guilty of it too, just because of, you know, experience and space and, and clinic uh, kind of environment. It's like, oh, you know, you do a little ladder stuff in clinic, you do a little agility, a little T-test, oh, off you go. You know, like, yeah, you f- you're pretty good. But man, it, you see these players on the field, you're like, oh, we didn't do anything near that intensity at all whatsoever and I, I think now we're in an era where you know a lot of people have smartwatches, a lot of pts a lot of strength coaches a lot of athletic trainers have smartwatches, and it's not a bad idea you know if you're doing a session with somebody just give them your watch and be like let's see what you got you know and tell them maybe run around and, and do your laps do your interval training and don't go below this number you know, I, I think it's so vitally important and yeah, you have to train at intensity. That's what the game demands, you know, and if you're not demanding of it in rehab, somebody is going to demand it of them at some point and they might not be ready for it. Absolutely. And I, I think you hit the nail on the head with that, that last few words there, not being ready for it. Um, if you don't have that power and then all of a sudden in the game, you're asking your body for it, what's going to happen? You're going to see me or Andy, and in a couple of years, Dylan, with an injury. Yeah. And I, I actually remember when I went to uh, United Soccer Coaches Convention a few years ago in Baltimore, um, a the director of performance from Club America, Paolo Pacione, uh, was presenting. And he told me his nickname was Paolo Loco. And I'm like, why? Like, what's up with that? He's like, yeah, uh, I look at these heart rate zones and uh, I just keep my players at the top. And I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, trust me. I'm about to do a warm up with these, with these 13, 14 year olds and they all have heart rates. Watch them. 
And I'm like, okay. And truthfully to his word, halfway through the warmup, all the kids 200 and up. And I'm like, wow. And it, it was totally different seeing that in real life and looking at the screen. I was like, yeah, that's the intensity that you need to hit before you go out and play because you're going to, you're going to be there, right? So is it going to be with me or with you? Is it going to be in control or is it going to be in chaos? Yeah, absolutely. I would have loved to have seen that session. That sounds really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And um, just a quick shout out to them in general. They have a pretty good program uh, for soccer coaches and anyone really interested in soccer, fitness and performance. Um, Look it up. United Soccer Coaches. uh, I think it's called Performance Diploma or or something like that. Um, It's a pretty good coursework and framework for anybody who's looking to learn about sport performance from any audience, whether it be a soccer player or coach, all the way up to the PT. We can kind of all learn from each other in that aspect. Yeah, absolutely. And I've gotten a a couple of diplomas through them already. And um, like one over that weekend uh, in goalkeeping, like I was never a goalkeeper. Um, And just the, the many different avenues of education that they provide for you as a coach is phenomenal. They actually just rolled out today uh, I believe it's called a mental performance one. I could be wrong on that, but um, mm. just rolling out all these different avenues of education and I'm, I'm a huge fan of it. So I couldn't recommend it enough to all the coaches out there listening. Yeah, for sure. Now I, I'm curious because when I went a few years ago, um, I, I actually wanted, they had all the goalkeeping courses on Sunday, but I actually had to run out of town. I, I'm curious, like what did you kind of pull from that goalkeeping portion? Yeah, so it was really cool. They actually had the the Dartmouth women's head coach running the on-field session. She had some just some great drills um, that she ran some of the kids through. But really, it was a lot of the, um, honestly, the, the classroom lecture stuff that was really helpful for me as a player because uh, I, I didn't really get that formal education as a goalkeeper growing up. Um, so just about like the different kinds of saves how to coach it into a kid and how to, most importantly for me, how to incorporate the goalkeeper into the training session, utilizing mm. not only their feet and trying to play out of the back, but also using their hands and whatever you're trying to implement for the goalkeeper on the training side of things. Um, because I don't know about you, but I know for me growing up, sometimes it was just like, okay, goalies, goalies. <laughs> you know, <laughs> And uh, that's not the game anymore, thankfully, because that's not how the game should be. So it was really cool to, to see all that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, well, thank you so much for sharing not only your thoughts on that, but the whole countdown in general. If people have questions, where can they find you? Yeah, uh, they can reach out to me on Instagram. It's E-V-A-N-Q-U-E for social media or on LinkedIn. Feel free. Uh, it's Evan Katani, Q-A-T-A-N-I. Feel free to hit me up on either, and I'm more than happy to to reply and chat about the game or PT stuff. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time, and I know we'll have you on the podcast again in in the future, but um, thank you all for listening. Peace and love, and we'll see you all next week.